0: Coming up today on the Sports Mill Podcast, we're talking some basketball. Andrew Sullivan joins me once again. We're going to tag team this podcast, part one on mine, part two on his. We're at the midway point of the NBA playoffs. So we're going to talk about two of the series in the conference semifinals, Lakers and Warriors, Heat and Knicks on my pod. That's what was played last night. And then we'll transition over to the other two on his. And we're going to end with a segment on mine. What do we do now for those teams that have already been eliminated? Because I think there are some really interesting decisions and scenarios for a lot of the teams that were eliminated early in these playoffs. So make sure to listen to part one here, part two on Sully's. Let's get into the episode. All right, like I said in the intro, we're going to start by analyzing two series on my podcast, then we'll switch to Sully's uh, and do the other two. So let's start with what happened last night, uh, recording this on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock central time, um, so not too far removed from the games last night, and I want to start with Lakers and Warriors, because I think that was kind of the poster series for this round coming in. You have LeBron versus Curry, you have the Warriors, obviously the dynasty of the last decade, versus LeBron, the best player of this century, essentially, and uh I'm not surprised solely that it's 3-1 early uh, based on how it's gone and based on how the Lakers have played. I did think it would be 2-2 after last night, but now the Lakers are obviously in a really tough, or the Warriors are in a really tough spot being down 3-1, and I'll kind of get into what I've thought about it so far, but are you surprised by this result and what's been your main takeaway from this series uh, through four games?
1: Yeah, I know we didn't come on and give our predictions at, at, before these series started. I did think the Lakers were going to win the series, so I I can't say like I can't say I'm stunned, but really I think what you've seen happen in this series is both teams have had their one game where they were just flat out better than the other team. They blow them out, they dominate, but then the two games that were close, you've seen the Lakers pull both those out, and that's how we end up at a three-one series here. When really I, I think the teams have played more evenly than that series might indicate. But I'm sure we'll talk about last night's game some. It just feels like the Lakers role guys, reserve guys, have stepped up a little bit more so far in this series than the Golden State guys have. And I think in the playoffs, a lot of times that's something that gets forgotten a little bit until we see it every year, is we talk all about the stars. We talk about the big moments. We talk about LeBron stepping up in the clutch. We talk about Steph Curry shooting the game-winning shot. A lot of times that's not what happens. A lot of times it's what happened last night where Lonnie Walker comes off the bench with no points in the game so far and then drops, what, 17 or something like that in the fourth quarter. Yeah. It's it's Marcus Smart for the Celtics who has the open three with the chance you know, to win the game for the Celtics. That's a lot of times what happens because these star players get so much attention. And I think so far in this series, that's what we've seen.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think the Lakers for me are what I thought the Warriors would be. I remember when we were doing the the pod before the playoffs and we were picking you know the original series we both had the lakers winning and we kind of argued over the kings and warriors and obviously that was either team could have won that series but i said i trust the warriors more and it's because i thought they had the pedigree and they had just a better overall team and i don't think i thought the lakers would would make it very far even though i picked them to win that early series now i think it's the opposite. I I think the Lakers have a better team, a deeper team than the Warriors do. And that's kind of crazy to say. And a lot of credit goes to Rob Polinka and what they've been able to put together. Because one through eight, they might be the deepest team in the playoffs. I mean, you could argue that my Boston Celtics are right there with them. And I think that's fair. But I did not think we'd be in a situation where the Golden State Warriors, with all these players that we saw last year, Thompson, Green, Wiggins, Poole, they're not they don't really have anybody besides Steph and here the Lakers are like you said rolling out Lonnie Walker their eighth man who scores you know 15 17 points in a fourth quarter of a of a game four in a playoff game so you know we'll get into a little bit later what we think is going to happen later on but these Lakers definitely look like a team with this depth that can win a lot of games especially in the climate of this NBA where there's not really a dominant team this year
1: yeah and I think what even bears that out is you think about like guys they acquired at the deadline, like Malik Beasley has played 18 minutes this series and most of them came in, in their blowout, in their blowout games, but they, they legitimately have like nine or 10 deep if Walker can play. Cause Schroeder's going to play Vanderbilt's going to play D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Hachimura, all those guys are going to play. And I think it gives them a lot of variability variability because you know, Vanderbilt's a guy that can guard multiple positions. He allows them to play really long, play big. But then they also have guys like Schroeder or Reeves, guys that can create offense. And I think that's been another part of this series that has been so helpful for the Lakers is LeBron has not had to bear the majority of the offensive burden himself. And at this point in his career, this is, I think this is really the first playoffs I've watched with LeBron where I don't feel like he can just carry a team all the way to the finals and you know maybe that's because his plantar fasciitis is still not fully there maybe it's just because he's old like he's kind of he should be at this point now in his career where he can't do this anymore but because of the role players for the Lakers he's been able to take I mean he took the entire first quarter off in game three he didn't even attempt a shot and they still won the game and you saw Later in the game, in the third quarter, he was very energetic on defense, making plays, had a couple great blocks in that game. I think those things are directly correlated there, where if he is able to not have as much of an offensive burden, he can make an impact on the game when they need him to. So I think the role players have, have helped the Lakers. They've also helped LeBron.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key to this series, really, is that LeBron doesn't have to do it all on his own, and they don't want him to have to do it all on his own. You know, I think the formula for the Lakers is pretty simple of how they win games, right? I mean, Anthony Davis has been criticized for not showing up from game to game, but all three games he has shown up, they've won. And the formula is pretty simple. Davis is not really a guy you go to at the end of the game, whether that's because of the position he plays or just his stamina and his game in general. The formula is Anthony Davis takes advantage in the first half. When the game is more free-flowing, he gets about 20 points. And then when the game slows down, that's when LeBron can come in and really, he's good enough to do whatever he wants to do, to do what he has to do, to score 20, 25 points, whatever. And then all those role players, somebody's going to be scoring on a nightly basis, which is just incredible, whether it's Hachimura, whether it's Schroeder, whether it's last night Lonnie Walker, whether it's Austin Reeves. And I think that's the difference in the series, is switching back over to the Warriors, and we haven't really focused on them. You know, it used to, they were kind of like that, where... Everybody was contributing, but Curry and Thompson could do what they needed to, right? They could elevate them to that winning level. Now it's just Curry, and the rest of those players aren't really helping at all. I mean, you have some good games. The role, some role players actually played well last night, like DiVincenzo and, and Peyton and Moody, but those stars are not to the level anymore, and it's, it's crazy that we're talking about LeBron. He's aging a lot better, it seems like, than Draymond and Clay Thompson are, and obviously they've had some major injuries. But I think that is the difference is that last night, if you watch that game, Curry is the best player in the series, in my opinion. I mean, he yeah. had 31 points, 14 assists, but the help is not there. It's it's a completely different, you know, roster construction. And it is crazy that if Lonnie Walker doesn't go off, the Warriors probably win. And we're sitting here at 2-2 and they have home court advantage. So we might be talking differently. But even if that hadn't happened, I think the Lakers do have a better team. Um, And it's crazy to think that when we're talking about a Warriors team that has all these superstars that we know.
1: Yeah. And a team that had the draft capital to turn this team into a a great team for the next five years. Like they pass on, uh, they pass on Franz Wagner to take Jonathan Kaminga that, you know, LaMelo ball sitting there at the next pick after James Wiseman. Like that to me is where you see this team start to have some depth issues. And, also, Jordan Poole has just been horrendous in this series and they really need that offensive punch from him now because Clay Clay is a good player but Clay cannot carry a team as a second option anymore. Like Poole needs to be the guy that can create offense for them, especially when Steph sits. And I mean, so far this series Poole has played less than 20 minutes a game, his shooting 35% from the field, 32% from 3. He's averaging um, he's—I mean—he's averaging two and a half rebounds, four and a half assists. He's just not really factoring in the way you would hope he would. And as a whole, their offense is not particularly efficient when he plays. They're—they have a ninety-three offensive rating, so that's that's pretty poor from from him. And that puts even more of the burden on Steph, like you said. And that to me is what is scary for the Warriors. Is Steph had what fourteen assists last night and? they still lost. And you would think if Steph is being have, having that much attention pointed towards him and he has that many assists, that means the other guys are converting. But they still were not able to pull the game out. And there's going to be nights where Steph doesn't have that many assists because guys just aren't making their shots. So, yeah, the Warriors are in a tough spot. I Steph is so good that I still am not going to count them out. I think he can carry a team. We saw that in Game 7 against the Kings when he had 50. Like that was what won them the series was Steph was singularly better than the Kings, but he's, he's going to have to put in, I think three performances similar to that level for the Warriors to have a shot to come back.
0: Right. That's the conversation is like down three, one, what's your move? What's your move to get back into the series? And I think it's, it helps to look back at like old series where they did that. And you think about the thunder series, obviously don't want to rub salt in a wound here, but, that was when they were all in their prime, and you knew that you could get a game six out of Clay Thompson. You knew that you had Andre Iguodala who could support Steph. Draymond was at the peak of his powers at that time, and you look at this team now. Where do you I and mean, where do you go? I, I just don't think you can count on any of those other players helping. And you know, last night the Warriors kind of finally figured out what's working, and people have been saying it is like all their off-ball movement is not was not working with Steph off the ball. Like they needed to put. Davis and pick and roll with Steph and let Steph pass. Like I mean we saw all the cuts that they were getting for layups last night and all the spray outs for threes. That's the formula for success, but I don't know if those shots like you said are going to go in enough because Jordan Poole they they're paying him, you know, a bunch of money now to be a scorer and he had zero points last night. And if he's not scoring, we've documented, what else can he really do? I mean, he's not a defender, he's not he is he can playmake, but I wouldn't call him playmaker before a scorer obviously and so I'm not really sure what his role is if he's not scoring and so the options for the Warriors are just slim like Draymond's not what he was Wiggins is a complimentary piece but he's not going to be a star and that's where it's really hard for me to see them coming back is that unless like you said Steph has just a supreme uh, three-game stretch here I definitely think the Lakers are with LeBron and AD are going to be able to win one of three games
1: Yeah, and I think what you said there is important about Steph is he usually is not the guy that has to take everything over himself. Like, the Warriors are one of the few teams that have a superstar and play within their system, and in the past, that's helped them, right? You mentioned against Oklahoma City, you get the big Clay Thompson game. Um, Even in the finals against the Cavs when they lost that series, you get the big Draymond Green game, the triple-double in Game 7, which even though they ended up losing – the Warriors can get those type of performances from their role players but I just don't know if that's realistic anymore. And maybe a guy steps up, but I don't think we've seen that or have any evidence to suggest that that's going to happen. And you know, in the regular season Steph's usage rate was 31%. So far in this series it's 31.4. I think that's got to come up. Like I I think his usage rate has to be higher than it was in the regular season because we're clearly seeing that the system is not enough by itself and that's when your best player has to step up and I I think Steph can do that I'm not saying I'm this is not an indictment on Steph as much as it is saying like hey give him more opportunities in the pick and roll let him create we we saw the Suns kind of have to do that in in a series we'll talk about later on where they just gave the ball to Booker and Durant and said "You you are our entire offense like go make go make everything happen and they were able to do that that's where the Warriors are now. It's going to be really hard for Steph to do that three times in a row, but that that might be all they have
0: left. Yeah, I think that's the difference is, you know, they only have one guy, and as great as Steph is, how sustainable is that when you're playing this many minutes and this many games? Um, and, yeah, he doesn't have any help anymore. It's, it's really sad because Klay Thompson is not – he's just not good enough. And I would not be surprised if in Game 5 the Lakers – I won't say mail it in, but the Warriors come out at home, shoot the ball well. Clay has like another twenty-five-point game where he hits six or seven threes and they win pretty easily. But I just don't you can't count on Clay and you can't count on those guys in a close game if we see that in game six and seven. And so I am not I am just I just don't think the Warriors can pull it out. Not not really a jump there when they're down three one. Uh, and what the biggest shock is, is what I mentioned at the beginning that I thought coming in that the I was not counting the Warriors out of the playoffs because I thought the pedigree and the team as a whole was good enough. And instead, it's the Lakers who are that team where LeBron and, well, and Davis, they have the pedigree and then their roster is deep enough to support them. Um, and we'll kind of get into this later, but... I don't think it's a far stretch to say this Lakers team can make it to the finals and, and even win, especially with, with what's going on in the other series. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens in the next month or so because as crazy as it sounded at the beginning of this year that the Lakers would be in the finals, we are five games away from that happening. Yeah, but that's what that's what we
1: talked about going into the playoffs was – Am I like when we talked about the Lakers you know I we talked about it during that playing game so we weren't sure whether they were going to be the seventh seed or the eight seed but that was the whole theme of that podcast was am I confident in this specific team no but I'm not confident in any of these teams like any of these teams can make a run and we're seeing now the way the Lakers are playing you mentioned you know the east is pretty wide open now Celtic sixers is probably going to end up being the Eastern Conference finals there and on the other side the nuggets and suns like I feel like the Nuggets have looked the most consistent and solid out of anybody so far, but in 2020 we saw the Lakers give the Nuggets a really hard time when they advanced to the finals to end up playing the Heat. So, I don't know, like I might favor the Lakers against them. I'm not 100% on that. So, yeah, I mean they they've got a real chance to make a run at the finals and it, it's kind of ironic that we're here now after all these, you know, LeBron Steph battles when it, pretty much all the time it felt like it was Well, you know, LeBron has the better or the worst team, but he's still probably the better player and Steph just has the better system, the better surrounding supporting cast. That's why he's won. We're now at the opposite point here. Steph is clearly the better player in this series compared to LeBron, but LeBron has the better supporting cast. And if you had told me that five months ago, I probably would have laughed based on where the Lakers roster situation was at. But they did a really good job of flipping this roster over at the deadline, even though it was completely their own fault that they were in that position to begin with. And the Warriors, like we talked about, I obviously I was wrong about the Kings beating the Warriors, but this team I just don't feel like has shown that they are a finals team throughout the season, and I think this series is kind of bearing that out.
0: Yeah, and I think you made a really good point there, is that what what – who would have thought the Lakers would have maybe the most complete roster in the West? And that really is what it comes down to in the playoffs is what can you count on? Do you know who you are? And the Lakers do. They know exactly what they're going to get most nights. And then at the end of the game, they have a LeBron who can create whatever he wants, essentially. And the Warriors right now don't really know who they are outside of Steph. They don't really know what they're going to get night to night from players. And that's that's kind of scary to think about when you're a team that has won as much as they have. And I think it's why we've seen what we what we've seen in this series so far. To change this into the other series last night, Heat and Knicks, you said the Celt- the Celtics and Seventy Sixers are kind of the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not so sure anymore with the way the Miami Heat are playing. I really am not, especially because what I've seen from the Seventy Sixers and the Celtics. It's easy to say that the Heat aren't that good because they were an eight seed, but they're sure not playing like it anymore in these playoffs. They're up three one themselves now on the New York Knicks. Um, You know, this is kind of another series where early, obviously, the Heat are. We haven't talked about them since they beat the Bucks, but you know, we didn't even think that was a possibility coming in. You know, they lost that play in game to the the Hawks, and we actually recorded after that, and I think we were just like, "This Heat team's dead. There's no way." You know, they beat the Bucks, insane. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. And now they're up 3-1 on the Knicks, who we both thought the Cavs would beat. I was I thought it would go to seven, and you thought the Cavs would beat them easily. Um, but they don't look good either now. Um, and it's kind of sad. I think this speaks to the Bucks' chances more than it does anything. But what is your takeaway from just the playoffs in general for these two teams? And what do you think about the Heat? Uh, his chances in these playoffs now that they're up
1: 3-1 yeah I mean I'll be honest this side of the bracket has just kind of baffled me in what has gone on Um, I'm glad we didn't come on before this series because I probably would have picked the Knicks to win but to me this series and and part of this is Miami don't get me wrong like part of this is Miami's defense but the Knicks so far have scored 101, 86, 111, and 101 points. Like that's just not that's just not enough. Like you just can't win in the playoffs with with that kind of offensive output. And Randall, I know like I talked about in the Cavs series why I didn't necessarily believe in the Knicks and it was because Julius Randle. We saw that didn't matter. They were still just a better team. Like they out physicaled the Cavs. They were they were better than them in every facet of the game. But Randall now has 55 total points in the series, according to according to basketball reference. And granted, that's in three games, so not as bad. But he is not contributing at a high enough level. He's 22% from threes, 44% from the field. Brunson has not shot the ball well from three at all. Um, none of these guys have really shot the ball well. As a team, they're 28% from three. So their offensive output is just like not at... The minimum level it has to be to win a playoff series, and especially when you're playing against the Heat, the Heat don't have some firepower offense, but they're gonna, they're consistent enough with Butler with Bam, they have ways to get to get good shots to get good looks. It feels like until the Knicks make changes offensively, they're just gonna be drawing dead.
0: Yeah, we just talked about with the Lakers about it's really important to know what your team is, who you are. And I don't think any team exemplifies that more than the Heat. You know, you kind of have to scratch the win-loss record besides their name once they get to the playoffs, if we've learned anything at this point. And it's that they know who they are and they know how to win games. And to me, this series is as simple as the Heat are just the better version of what the Knicks want to be. The Knicks all season have kind of said, you know, we're this scrappy team that doesn't have a lot of star talent, but we play together. We have Brunson who can hit late game shots. We have Randall who can chip in some points. And we just kind of win by committee and toughness. Well, that's what the Heat are, but even more so. And we saw the Knicks kind of impose their will on the Cavs in round one. And it's been the opposite in round two, where if you watch the game last night, it was just offensive rebound after offensive rebound for the Heat. That's how they got their points, really, in that second half. And so... I mean, it's pretty simple what the Heat are going to do. They're going to put the ball in Butler and Bam's hands and they're going to ask them to create and then Struce and Vincent and those guys are going to make some shots around them and credit to them for being able to do so in the playoffs. But it's not like the Heat are just this enigma to figure out, but they're just really tough to play. And then Kyle Lowry is the epitome of like the zombie Heat. I mean, he just never dies in, in the playoffs and he's come back to life. So it's really been incredible to see not surprising to see them be able to have postseason success, but obviously playing the Bucks in the first round, you didn't expect it. And I just think the Knicks here, they're just not there yet. They need another year uh, with these guys, and they probably need to get rid of Randall, honestly. Um, so, I mean, what, as far as they go, I mean, what do you think? They, do they have any moves in this series? And is this one of those things where they just need to improve the roster if, if they want to have success?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think this roster is ready to contend at, at a high level to win a championship. I do think, like, they're kind of in the place now where they're going to have to make a tough decision on, like, do they want to just try to remain good and make this fan base happy, or is their goal to win a championship? And they're going to have to take some risks to make that happen. I think moving Randall, like you said, is a, is a possibility there. They're definitely still on star watch. Like, they're going to be one of the teams to where if if a guy asks out soon that they are going to be – banging down the door with their draft picks that they still have by the way like they chose not to go after donovan mitchell honestly that seems like it could be the right decision at this point with you know they just knocked out the Cavs. brunson has been a really good player for them so to sign brunson and give up nothing versus acquire donovan mitchell for all your first round draft picks like that looks like it could be, could have been the right decision they they are flexible at this point but it feels like at some point they're kind of just waiting forever like it feels like for two or three years now that's been the plan as well. When a star opens up that we want, then maybe we'll go after him and and then we can have a great team. If you're this good consistently, that's probably okay because your fans will be okay with you being the five seed. Maybe you win a first round series. You can give a team a tough series in the second round, but eventually that's going to get old for the Knicks. The Knicks fans have too high expectations to, to just let that slide. And that's where they will have to get aggressive at some point. They're going to have to make a big move. You know, they, I saw, I don't remember who it was. It might've been like Zach Lowe that was talking about, you know, they're dreaming that like Giannis becomes available. i You can't bet on that at all. It seems like Giannis loves Milwaukee, but there could be other guys that that ask out in a similar way. But focusing on this series, the thing that stands out to me the most is the pace. Like they're playing 93 possessions, basically in a game the The slowest offense in the entire NBA this past regular season was the Cleveland Cavaliers. They played ninety six possessions, so they are slower than the slowest team was in the regular season in this series. And part of that is because the Heat were the twenty, the Heat were the second slowest team, and the the Knicks were the fifth slowest team. So you have two teams that are you know slowing everything down to a halt feel like that is hurting the Knicks because they're just grinding this game to a halt and they, they can't get anything going in their half court. And they're really a team that was built around offensive rebounding, you know, trying to just muck up the game. But the Heat are rebounding offensively at a very similar level to the Knicks. You know, the the Knicks' offensive rebound percentage is 27%, the Heat's 24%. So there's a gap there, but it's not significant. And so when the Heat are able to, you know, match the Knicks strength and then grind this game down to a halt that's where you see the Knicks struggles come into play and that's where the Heat are so good is that it feels like when Spolster gives them something to focus on they legitimately can go out and execute it and that sounds really simple but there are a lot of teams that they can have some great idea about what they want to do you saw the Warriors make that adjustment with going small trying to keep Draymond and Looney off the court at the same time but then you have to have the players that can actually step up into those lineups and make that work. That feels like what the Heat have
0: actually been able to do is they, they came in with a plan and they're able to execute. Yeah, I mean, that's the Heat do that better than anybody else is that they play to their strengths. And this is not a supremely talented team, but what happens when you slow the game down and you really compress the floor is it takes away really what can beat you. It doesn't really matter now If you have better players, it's about the scheme and the execution. And we just mentioned the Knicks aren't that supremely talented team. Brunson is their best scorer and look at him. He's not going to overpower you. He's going to, he finesses you with his skill. And that's something that is going to be able to be beaten if you play well. Um, And I think if we've learned anything, you know, we were talking about the Knicks as a future as a whole. Really, to me, in this modern day of NBA, you need two really good players and a, obviously a good overall team, but you need a, a wing guy that you can give the ball to and say, go win us the game. You know, the Heat have that in Jimmy Butler. The Celtics have that in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You know, the Sixers have that in James Harden, Joel Embiid, but they're still kind of missing that wing, and I think the Celtics should be up 3-1 right now, if we're being honest, and that's hurt the the Sixers. And then you look over in the West and you have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. You have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who if they're healthy, who knows what happens. You have LeBron and AD. Uh, The Warriors kind of break that mold just because of how good Curry has been. But the Knicks need to find a guy like that, that they can give the ball to. And RJ Barrett, I think is what they were hoping that would be, but it's pretty obvious that I don't, I mean, you can just tell by the way he moves that he's not, he's just not that guy. And I think, you know, Like you said, they probably made a good decision not trading for Donovan Mitchell. But if somebody comes available that's better than him, I would definitely want to make sure I'm in on that for the Knicks because they do need to upgrade that star position along. with, I think Brunson, great pickup, but he can't be the best player on this team. And the Heat are exploiting that in this series. And we'll probably talk a little bit later on your pod about what we think is going to happen moving forward. But the way this Heat team plays now and the the things that I've seen from the Celtics and 76ers, your point is why I think they could win the, the Eastern Conference Finals. They're going to be able to execute, and they're going to be able to frustrate whoever they play. And to me, the Celtics and 76ers both have weaknesses that are exploitable. Um, and so if I'm a, one of those teams' fans, I'm scared to play the Heat in the Conference Finals. Yeah, that
1: the Barrett thing is really interesting, too, because if you had told me he was going to come into the series and average 22 points a game, shoot over 40% from three, I would have thought oh the Knicks are the Knicks are in a really good spot like if they're getting that kind of production out of their number 3 guy then that's great but when Randall is playing so poorly then that's where the drop off happens and like you said when it feels like they're always just hoping like oh maybe RJ will play well tonight maybe Randall will play well tonight but they don't necessarily have that guy that they can just go to and get a big shot and that's really the important part. And Brunson is somewhat able to do that, but at his size, it's still just hard for him to create something out of nothing sometimes. They definitely need that guy. And honestly, they they're I think they're really missing quickly in this series. He's he's only played um fifty seven minutes. He's only played three out of the four games so far. It feels like his offense has been very much missed in this series his ability to defend the defend at the point of attack as well without him I think that really hurts them we saw how good he was especially later in the year made a real push for six man of the year I think a lot of people thought he was going to win the award not having him available also has been very um, a very big deal for this team and even when he's played he has not been able to make much of an impact
0: Right, I think that that's really your reason. Just like we talked about the Lakers-Warriors series, the rest of these players that they were touting as being able to make them a playoff team, Quickly, Josh Hart, uh, Quentin Grimes, they've not been there really at all. Um, it's a had to be Brunson, Barrett, and Randall, and those three guys aren't good enough. Let's just be honest. I mean, I think it's laughable now that Quickly was even up for the sixth man of the year award, and certainly you can't discount his performances, but... I mean, he's just, he's a non-factor. And like you said, even when he did play, he wasn't playing well. Um, and that's the difference between a good playoff team and not, is you have role players who step up. You already mentioned this. And then there's teams who don't have that. And the Cavs had nobody outside of their best players. And now the Knicks have seen that go away as well. And I think that's something that Heat do better than anybody else, is somehow they find a way to get those role players to step up. And that's what's crazy is, In the modern discourse of first take and media, every storyline from every game is, how did the star player play? If he played well, okay, he needs to play like that again. If he played bad, he let the team down. He needs to step up. And that's really all the analysis is on these major TV shows. But really, if you look at the in between the lines, a lot of times the role players in the team tell the story of the game. And yes, you're going to have a Jimmy Butler 56-point performance where he just puts them on their back. But for a series, like you mentioned with the Lakers, it's the rest of the team that determines whether or not you end up winning the series. And so far, we've seen the Heat be able to rely on their guys, even though those guys may not be as well known, more so than the Knicks.
1: Yeah, and especially once you get in a series, I think that's the case, because you start to see teams make adjustments to counteract teams' best players. Like It's a lot harder to do that on an individual night in the regular season, but I think that's what you saw in the second half last night of the Warriors-Lakers game was they started to devote a lot more attention to Anthony Davis because they realized that they were going to have to to make adjustments to stop him after the dominant first half that he had. And then that's what opened up the perimeter for some of those role players. And you saw Lonnie Walker was able to take advantage of that in the fourth quarter, step into a lot of open shots because of the space that was created there for, for the Lakers team. That, to me, is the way that you have to function in these playoffs is your role players have to be able to take advantage of of the, the bending of the court that the superstars create. You see that all the time with the Warriors. You saw so many open lanes for Steph to hit passes on because he his gravity, he attracts so much attention from the defense. The Knicks don't feel like they have that guy. They don't feel like they have the guy where de- defenses are having to change the way they play because of it. And one last note on this series for me, the the Heat are currently defending the Knicks at a rate that would make them the best defense in the NBA over the course of the regular season. Obviously small sample size, take that for what it's worth. On the other hand, and I think this is, this will surprise people because the pace has been so slow. The scores have been so low in this series. The Knicks are defending at a rate that would put them at like the 21st best defense in the NBA over the regular season. So yes, the scores are lower, but that's a pace thing. The Knicks are not defending the heat. Well, so, both sides of the ball there's improvement that needs to happen for this Knicks team if they want to have any chance at
0: coming back in this series i mean yeah you summed it up perfectly there i I don't think they can just because of what you said the heat every one of their wins looks the same it's like 108 to 100 or the blowout game is 105 to 85 instead of the knicks really keeping it close and if you don't have the ability whoever is able to control the way the game is played is going to win And so far, the Heat have been able to do that every game. And I don't see that stopping here in Game 5. Would not be surprised if they win Game 5. Obviously, the Knicks will be back home at MSG. But Randall had a really concerning comment last night after the game that the Heat may just want it more. If you're saying that after... Losing game four to go down 3-1 in a, in a playoff series, that's that's probably not a good sign for what's going to lie ahead the next three games. Yeah,
1: and this could be worse. The only game they've won, Butler didn't play. Like right. the, so if Butler, I mean, Butler, if if he's healthy to close out this series, he's going to have at least one game out of these three where he just dominates the game. And especially at the pace they're playing, he, he can really make a big impact on this series and close it out quick.
0: Yeah, I think that one's pretty much over. And and who would have thought that the eight seed Heat and the seven seed Lakers are the teams that are probably going to close out their series uh before anybody else to get to the conference finals. It just shows what we like Sully said, what we talked about in that last episode. Uh this playoffs is is was there for anybody who could get in, which makes it more head scratching to bring up a random point why the Mavericks didn't try to get into the playoffs, because who knows what would have happened. But we still got a lot to talk about here. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to do a quick segment on my pod uh, discussing some of the teams that are knocked out. What do they do next? And then we're going to switch over to Solis, and we're going to talk about the rest of the playoffs. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. All right, to close out my end of the podcast, we're going to do a little segment. I'm going to call it, What Do We Do Now? Uh, Because part of the story of the playoffs is what happens to the teams who get eliminated. And we've definitely had some shockers in this playoff, considering we've had a lot of the higher seeds get eliminated. So I want to start with a team that really just, it was just a bad news Bears type of team this season. Uh, And I want Sully to act like he's the general manager of this team, the owner of this team, whatever. What's our moves going forward from here? And I want to start with the Memphis Grizzlies because I feel like this is a team to kind of set it up that after last year, we were like, okay, that was expected, making it to the second round. You had a really young team, uh, but going forward, we're just going to build off of this. And this year was just a disaster, really. They still had a really good record. They still looked good at times, but with what went on with John Moran and all his off the court stuff with the Dylan Brooks situation and just a lack of growth in every area, it felt inevitable. We picked the Lakers before the playoffs started. They were going to lose pretty easily in this playoff. So now the narrative is what's going to happen because they're really, you went backwards, not forwards. So so if you're the, if you're the brass of this team They've already decided a move for you that apparently Dylan Brooks isn't coming back under any circumstance, which is just crazy to me. But what do you think this team needs to do to actually give themselves a chance at a championship in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is something I would have advocated for them doing last year. So we're, we're a little behind on this, but if they want to be considered a legitimate title threat, they have to make a big move. This roster, I've been saying it for years, this roster is not good enough by itself to win a championship jaw is a great player bane and jackson i i love jaron jackson i think he's great those guys are not good enough second and third options to go win a championship and especially with the way this team is built all of these guys right here that i'm about to list are like the same like Zaire williams jake laravia david roddy santi aldama xavier tillman kenneth lofton jr it's a bunch of okay Young players, and you can't win playing a bunch of okay young players. It's impossible in this league to do that. The only teams that we see transcend that age trend are teams that have dominant young players, teams that had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Those are the teams you see that win when they're extremely young. You saw the same thing with the Warriors, they won a lot earlier than expected because they had one of the best players of all time, and then Klay Thompson and Draymond Green playing in a super high level, along with great role players. The Grizzlies were rumored to be in on uh, Mikael Bridges at the trade deadline. I think they offered four first-round picks for him and were not able to get him away from the Nets. I like that move. I think that signals that they're looking in the right direction for what they need help with because he fit he would fit perfectly with this team um, I would have loved that for them that would change the way I think about this team a lot but that's the type of move they need to be thinking about because right now you know Bane's got one more one more year before he becomes a restricted free agent you're probably just going to match whatever whatever he's offered because he's a, he's a strong part of this core but there are other guys you know like you're you're gonna it sounds like Dylan Brooks is like you said 100% gone so this team just needs more more talent they need more really good players because right now this roster is filled with a lot of guys that are closer to average
0: right you know they built themselves on the culture of this team that was kind of their calling card last season is we may not be supremely talented and we may be young, but we have a really good culture. We play together and we have John Moran at the helm. Well, this year, the culture tanked and Ja looks like he could get hurt at any moment because of the way he plays. Like you said, Jaron Jackson is amazing. He elevated his game in every way this season. Now he just has to learn how to stay healthy and stay on the floor. And they're kind of in a tough spot because you made the point that they need more talent. But yeah, it's... Hard to see them getting rid of those top three guys, and it's tough because all those guys probably are going to want star money, but none of them are good enough to probably win a championship in their current role. I mean, Jaw, you could say, is probably a number one option on a championship team. That's a possibility. Is jaron Jackson a two though? Is Desmond Bain really a three? I mean, he could be. I guess you could say a Chris Middleton type player, but you really need a Giannis, and I don't think Jaw is that yet. So. They're in a tough spot because you're going to have to make a decision either to add to those three guys with talent or trade one of them and try to get somebody that you know can put you over the top. Um, They have to fix the, the culture thing, obviously. You know, I think missing Steven Adams, it shouldn't have hurt them as much as it did, but you need a veteran guy to be able to kind of corral that team. And Dylan Brooks is not the answer, which is why I think they're so quick to let him go. So they need kind of a veteran wing presence, and like you said, if there's an option i mean this is this is we just mentioned this with the Knicks, but if there's an option to upgrade that second star position, I think you have to do it, even if that includes putting maybe Desmond Bain on the table uh for a trade here, but you know they're kind of the opposite of these like you look at the Celtics, you look at the Lakers like those role players have the ability to carry a team on a night Brogdon white smart, Robert Williams, same for the Lakers. The Grizzlies don't. You you went through that list of names. None of those guys are putting up, you know, fifteen points in a quarter. Uh even like I wouldn't say they're even worse than Lonnie Walker. They just don't have that ability. Um and so yeah, it's it's tough because I do think I would want to keep Jaw and Jaron Jackson, but if you have the ability to get that kind of upper echelon star to go alongside those two guys, I think a trade should be on the table. Um it'll be interesting to see what they do.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of why I I've just been a little lower on this team, is because I look at it and say, okay, if they lock in this core, they're gonna probably win fifty games every single year, but I don't know if that's enough talent to get you through multiple playoff series against really good teams in the Western Conference. And that's the hardest leap to take. Like where where they are at right now to the next stage of development for an NBA team is the hardest leap to be go to go from good to great. Is really, really difficult to do unless you bring in top talent. And that to me seems like where they're gonna have to go. Because, like you said, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Bain are great players, but I don't know if they're title winning guys with the current surrounding cast that they they have in Memphis. And Ja, I I guess I I, I probably agree that it is possible that he can be the best player on a championship team but I think it is much more in like the Jason Tatum side than like the Steph Curry side where like if and I'll explain that a little bit, like Tatum to me is a guy where if the roster is as good as the Celtics roster is right now, he can win a championship being the best player on a team. But I don't know if he can take a good roster and win a championship with it. Like maybe a Steph or a LeBron or, or Kevin Durant one of those guys and that's where I kind of view Jaw is like I think Jaw needs to have a great roster around him to win a title and that's that's fine there's only like five guys in the NBA that I think can take a decent roster and go win a championship with it but that's not where the Grizzlies are currently positioned so if their goal is to win a title in the next five years they, they have a lot of room to grow to get to that point.
0: I definitely agree about Ja. I'm not sure his style of play is ever going to be able by himself to win a series. And that just goes back to what I was saying, like the guard, that guard ball dominant player, it's hard to win with them as your best player. To me, you need a wing guy and, and have the point guard supplement them. And I think we've, that's been proven over the last several years, unless you're, you're Steph Curry. Um, And there's just not many humans alive that are ever going to play basketball like Steph Curry, if anyone. So Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Let's stick to the conference and do something. Go to a team that was where the Grizzlies were last year. Um, And that's the Sacramento Kings. Right, they finally make it back to the playoffs. They give the Warriors a run for their money. Easily could have won that series uh, if they played a little better. They have Fox, they have Sabonis, but like the Grizzlies, they don't really have a star player. I think we would all agree De'Aaron Fox is not to the level yet of a championship carrying uh, you know a guy who can carry a team to a championship like we just talked about so this is more i guess of not even just next year for them but just in the grand scheme of things if you're looking at the kings and you're like okay we've proven we can make it to the playoffs we can prove that we can hang with some of the best teams what are we going to do to surround what we have to get us to a championship maybe in the next four or five years And if you're the general manager of the Kings, what are you kind of looking at doing from a roster perspective?
1: Yeah, this to me is probably the team that out of the four we're going to talk about that I would be the least aggressive on just because you haven't made the playoffs in 20 years. You finally found something that works. I still think you're pretty far away from actually winning a championship to where I don't know. Like, I don't know that one big move gets this team to a title and because of that, I would be more hesitant to try to go make a big splash. You need to extend Sabonis because he only has one more year at $20 million, $21 million, which is very reasonable, by the way. Like That's a good contract to have on the books. They need to extend him soon because he is a big part of what makes their offensive system work. All the motion and movement and pace, they are able to play like that because he is at the hub of that offense, making everything go go around and you know they're losing Harrison Barnes is going to be an unrestricted free agent this year so I'd probably like to see them add somebody on the wing I don't know like maybe like Kyle Kuzma's a free agent maybe he could be a king so, somebody like that that I think could just give you some shooting and defense on the wing um, I think would be a good add for them but to me this is the team especially you know Keegan Murray still pretty young he might he might get better uh, Davion Mitchell is another guy that you're hoping improves over time. You have Kevin Herter with three more years on his contract. I don't think I would look to be too aggressive with this roster just because it's kind of all gravy right now, and I don't know that they're ready to make that next step. The, the last thing I'll add is Rashawn Holmes has two more years on his contract at like $12 million and $13 million. There's been some talk about them potentially offloading that contract, maybe giving up a pick to create more space for them to go out and make a move in free agency. I don't I think that makes sense. He they can't really play him now with the way they play. Like he doesn't fit the way they play at all. So I, I would not be surprised to see that happen. Maybe that helps them add a wing and free agency to replace Harrison Barnes. But yeah, I, I don't look at like big wholesale changes for the for this team at this point.
0: I don't look at big wholesale changes for them either, but I, I'm I definitely think I'm a little more bullish on their championship chances here in the next couple of years just because look at look at who's winning this year. I mean the West is not set in stone for the future. LeBron's 38. You don't know what the Lakers are going to be much longer. You don't know what the Warriors are going to be much longer. You look at the Nuggets, they haven't proven anything yet. The Suns, who knows? And so that, to me, that, that does create kind of a hole where a, a good young team can establish themselves for the future. And I do think the Fox and Sabonis pairing... No, I don't think they're going to be good enough alone to win a championship. I think that was proven. I think Fox is definitely good enough to kind of be the number one, number two option along with somebody kind of like Tatum that you mentioned. Um, So bonus, maybe not. I do think they have depth with if Murray gets better, Herter stays, Monk, to have a really good team. I think they're just really missing that they really do need a star, a wing star. And I keep saying that. And whether that's somebody that's proven or somebody that's young that they can go, can go get, they need somebody other than Fox. This is kind of just, I mean, I wanted this to be interesting. Throw something at you. I don't really know what their draft capital would be to trade. What if they went and got like Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson in this draft? It, I mean, I, I don't know how much of a possibility that is. But I think that type of player maybe not scoot as much because he's a little smaller, but like a really high volume scoring wing like Brandon Miller to me. Obviously, we don't know how he's going to perform in the NBA. But to me, that's what they're needing is somebody that type of frame like Harrison Barnes is, but actually good, that can be a star on your team. So I thought that might be an interesting move for them is what if they went and got you know a pretty high draft pick to trade for with one of these teams um I don't really know what they would trade, but that's kind of to me what they're missing.
1: Yeah, I mean I would really like that. I I think it's going to be really hard to get into the top 3 of this draft because I think those top 3 guys are going to be looked at as pretty good prospects and then after that it's a lot more of an unknown. So depending on the team that's there, you know, maybe there's a better chance to trade up if there's a team that, you know, really, you know, is has a bunch of wings already. They're not a big fan of Miller, they're interested in trading down, but it also is going to be more difficult for the Kings because because they made the playoffs. There's going to be teams ahead of them with similar capital that are going to allow a team to probably move down to like eight or nine rather than, you know, I don't even know what pick the Kings have, but it'd probably be like 23, 24, something like that. So if they could do it, I would, I mean, that would be great. He would fit their system very well. I think all the open threes that he would have for that offense would be great. But I think it would be really difficult to make happen. Um, the, I think, honestly, I think the reason I'm a little more pessimistic on this team is because, I, and it's funny because I was really optimistic about them in in their current form, but I don't know like where they get a lot better unless they just get guys that are just as talented offensively and are better defensively because they already had the best offense in NBA history this year. So, I if they were at this level this year with the best offense in NBA history, defense is really the only place they can improve. And I'm not sure that it's possible to have a good defense when De'Aaron Fox, Demontis Sabonis, and, and those guys are your core. Because Fox is not a great defender and Sabonis is just not a good defensive big man at all because he can't really protect the rim. So... Maybe they can get enough defensive wings. Maybe you know if Davion Mitchell continues to get better, Keegan Murray can be a solid defender. He continues to get better. Maybe they get to that point. But to me, that's the that's the th- the big question for me is like, can they get this defense to like average? Like if they can get this defense to average, then like you said, they become a legitimate uh, a legitimate threat. If assuming that they can maintain the, that level of offense uh, along the way.
0: Yeah, the Sabonis rim protection is definitely a concern. But yeah, I think like you said, you would just have to surround them with three good defenders, whether that's find a guy who is a star who can play both ways. Um, but yeah, that, that definitely is a concern moving forward. I just do think out of all the all the teams in the West, they have the potential to kind of be someone who could establish themselves as kind of a, a stalwart in the playoffs. Uh, along with maybe the Nuggets and and the Grizzlies coming up, because there is a lot of uncertainty with some of these older teams. Like I don't think the Lakers will be able to have this roster for very much longer. It's just they didn't construct it to be that way, and several other teams are like that as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially in the West, moving forward. Here's one. Uh, the last thing
1: I'll add on that, and this is something that like is hard to project, but there are always more good teams coming down the road. Than, than we expect. And so like when the Lakers fall off, you know, the Thunder are going to be trending up when, and, or the Rockets are going to be trending up when, when, you know, the, the Warriors start to get worse, the Pelican, maybe Zion stays healthy. The Pelicans trend up. I think you have, you have to be looking not just at the teams that are getting worse, but the the chance that a lot of these teams are going to improve because that's always what happens in the NBA. Like you, you look at a conference and think, oh it's wide open like think about when LeBron left the East in 2018 it's like wow the East is completely wide open like there's not really any great team then the next year you know you have Kawhi Leonard goes to the Raptors the Celtics are pretty good the Sixers are great you know that's kind of just what happens in this league you know the Bucks, Giannis continues to get better so it's I would say They definitely, there is a window that could open up, but there are going to be a lot of teams that are trying to jump into that. And so the Kings are going to have to be aggressive if they want to, if they want to be one of those teams.
0: Yeah, certainly that's a good point is we're talking about teams that have exited the playoffs, but you know, we, you could technically talk about a lot of teams that didn't even make the playoffs of what they're going to do next, including, you know, the thunder, like you mentioned. So that's a really good point. It's not going to be easy, but I do think they're set up for success if they play it right. All right, let's move to the East now. Uh, we'll save the most controversial, I guess, for last, just because it was so unexpected, but we'll start with the Hawks. I think this is really interesting. You know, they made the Eastern Conference finals a couple of years ago, kind of a surprise and the narrative became, wow, look at, look at Trey Young, you know, look how good he is at such a young age. Can, can this be a guy that, you know, is good enough to take a team to a championship and how fast the narrative has flipped in a couple of years where now it's, Can we even keep Trey Young on the team? Is he a guy who can even be a number one? And I have some pretty strong opinions about this, but I think it's pretty obvious that the way they're currently constructed isn't going anywhere in the playoffs anytime soon, even though they do have a very talented roster. So what do you do if you're the Hawks right here in in this situation? And I guess it really centers around Trey. Is he a guy, you do you honestly think you could ever win a championship with, with the way he plays.
1: With the way he plays now, I think the answer is no. And I don't know what it's going to take to get him to to change that. I, I think the best thing for him might be going to a team where it's clear that he is not the number one option. Because I think it's pretty obvious that he, at this point in Atlanta, he still views himself as that guy, even with DeJounte Murray there. And maybe that's fair. He he, pro- he might be the better player but he feels like one of those guys, you know, almost almost like a D'Angelo Russell where he needs a hierarchy. He needs, D'Angelo Russell needed to be behind LeBron and Davis to understand, I am not the best player on this team. I don't need to be hunting shots. I need to be playing within the offense. And that's exactly what Trey has to do. Like, I don't, I mean, obviously, like, I don't think the Lakers can trade for him. But that's the kind of situation I want to see Trey in, is where he is he is playing a Steve Nash role. He's facilitating for other players. He's making them better. And currently with the Hawks, that's not really the way he plays. That's where he's going to have value. I still don't know if he's you know, going to be one of the best players in the league like I think a lot of people thought he might be a couple years ago. But I do think if you're the Hawks, it is in your best interest if you can get a legitimate offer for him to move him. Because DeJounte Murray has one year left on his contract before he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So you're going to have to pay him if you want to retain him. And I'm not sure you can invest that much money into two point guards and build a good enough roster that, that can win a title. Because right now, the way they're currently constructed, I like a lot of their players. I like John Collins. I like DeAndre Hunter. I like Bogdanovich. I like Onyeka Kongu, Sadiq Bey, A.J. Griffin. All those guys, Like I think those are good players. I think they can be valuable guys on a winning team but the way this team is currently operating is clearly not going to work and so if you can offload Trey I think it makes sense now I would not give him away for nothing I don't think that makes sense he's still got four years left on his deal so you can you have time to be patient with this if you need to but there I don't know like I could see a case to just tear this whole thing down, honestly. Like I would be a little tempted to do that. I they're probably good enough where and young they're probably young enough where they don't really want to consider that right now. But there are a lot of guys on this team that you could get legitimate assets for it and start a rebuild. So I don't know. I, I think my first thing would be to gauge the Trey Young interest around the league. The problem is I'm not sure how many teams there are that are gonna gonna be interested. So that that's gonna be a difficult <clears> thing for the Hawks front office to to deal with this offseason.
0: Yeah. The Hawks problem is that the reason they can't win with Trey is also the reason they won't be able to move him is because he has the skill to do everything you want in a number one guard. I mean, he is a really skilled player. His passing is incredible. His shot creating is incredible. Although where I think people maybe give him too much credit is that he's a really good shooter and the numbers just don't bear that out. He's not a very efficient shooter. He has the ability to make them. Um, but I agree with you. To me, he has the skill and his creativity with the ball to be a good player on a championship team, to be a number two. But the problem with Trey is that you know his comp is Steph Curry a lot. Well, guess what? Steph plays in such a way that makes everybody around him better. He doesn't need the ball all the time. He didn't need the ball when Kevin Durant was there all the time. He can move off the ball. Trey is not like that. If he doesn't have the ball, he stands there. I mean, watch him in if, the next time he plays. If he does not have the ball, he does not move. And so therefore, everything has to go through him. And that's the problem is that I don't think this team is good enough. He is not good enough to just be like, okay, we're going to give you the ball for all the reasons you said. Now, I do like the roster they have around him. But like you said, if I'm the Hawks, I'm definitely shopping um, him around just because... I don't know if he can change the way he plays. I really don't think that he is going to ever want to take a second fiddle. And if he knows how to play, if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, which is a big problem, I think is a supremely talented player. I think he probably gets too much flack. Um, but yeah, he does deserve some of the criticism and he's going to have to change the way he plays. So yeah, if I'm the Hawks, I'm definitely shopping him around. Um, but just because I don't know if he's ever going to change. But Like you said, what are you really going to be able to get back for him? Yeah, I don't know. I
1: I'm playing around on the trade machine right now, trying to see if it's possible for a Trey Young, Chris Paul trade to work. I don't know if the Suns can do that. Um, it seen it's I I'm having a hard time getting their salaries to get to that point, but maybe that makes sense because you could I don't know like if you have Aiton move to okay I got one here it is the Hawks receive DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul the Suns receive Trey Young and Bogdan Bogdanovich who says no to that I and mean I, I think to- I think the I would I will say I think the Hawks I or I think the Suns throw in picks there by the way like the Suns probably give a first or two
0: yeah I just don't know what the Hawks plan is there because you like what are you doing with Capella and in Konglu in that situation, I guess you're offloading them, but then it's like, you don't really think you have Chris Paul for a long time. To me, Aiton and Capella are not that much different. So yeah, I'm I mean, not you're sure not keeping ho- both. Like, right. I think this
1: this is more if if you're saying that we're trying to rebuild. Like, we're going to get a couple picks for Trey. We're going to pick up Aiton and then potentially just flip him again. Like, I, I wasn't going to make a three-team deal in a minute, but – That that to me is like what you would be looking at there, or like you said, trading Capella and then saying like, okay, Aiton's a guy that we want to have long term, because that that to me though is the kind of place where Trey Young would fit. Is like if he knows he's the third best player on the team next to Booker and KD, like that is the environment where he succeeds. Because like we talked about, when he is the engine of the offense, I don't think that's what you want anymore.
0: I agree. I mean, the Suns would take a long look at that, I think, because they do need like a Bogdan Bogdanovich off the bench, too. But it's going to be do you trust that Trey is going to be willing to let Booker and Durant be the guys? If he's willing to be the facilitator and just shoot when he's open, great. That's a great addition. And I do think he's an upgrade over where Chris Paul is at in his career. But I just. That would be something you would I mean, Trey's gonna want a lot of money. And it's do we want to pay him that much to be a third guy? Um, I don't know. That that's a good that's a good trade though, and I definitely think the Hawks, I think they should blow it up. I think Murray is actually a really good player. Now is he a number one? No. But I don't think that's a bad idea to let him kind of run your team for a couple of years. So I think that's what they should do is kind of move on from Trey and it'll be interesting to see where they go. All right, last thing we'll talk about uh on my pod uh before we close is what did the bucks do um they have already fired coach Budenholzer so they took care of that for you as to what they should do um you know Giannis didn't really have a great series but he also was hurt and I want to start this by prefacing it's easy to say well they've already won a championship I kind of I hate that argument because that kind of makes everything else go away. We can criticize everybody until they win a championship. Like We can point out all these flaws, but when they win a championship, it's like, well, they won, so you can't say anything. And that's true that, okay, they had a year where they were, the best, they were the best team, although you could even argue that because of what happened in the Nets series. But to me, that doesn't take away this team. It has flaws, and I'm not sure they can win again. I'm just not. I'm not sure they can win again. I'm not sure Giannis is good enough to win again. I think his game is something that people have figured out how to stop now, that he's kind of become his final evolution, and I'm not really sure what level he has to continue to go up to. So I definitely think they need to give Giannis more help. Uh, Chris Middleton, to me, is past his prime. I would move on from him. So obviously they're bringing in a new coach, but where are you looking at going forward if you've just come off this embarrassing loss to the Heat? Yeah, I like you said, I think
1: they really benefited from having that title. And obviously, like that's a very obvious thing to say. But historically speaking, this offense has not been a very good offense in the playoffs. In terms of over the long term, even that year, that they won the title, a lot of the playoffs were building up, asking the question, like, is the Bucs offense going to figure it out enough to where they can win the title? And they did. They did for that series. But that doesn't mean that that's not still a problem for them. It doesn't mean that all those concerns just went away. And Milwaukee is in a really interesting spot, because here, I'm just going to read off, the, like, the relevant guys that are going to be unrestricted free agents this offseason. And this is assuming that Middleton declines his player option, which my guess is he will, but maybe may, there's a chance he doesn't. Middleton is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Brooke Lopez, Jay Crowder, Joe Ingles are all unrestricted free agents this summer. That's, that's a lot that you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with. Now Maybe they just re-sign their guys. Obviously, like teams have an advantage in ha- having the ability to re-sign their guys by going over the cap. But this is not just a... Like, oh yeah, like we bring back the same team, we're done. And I feel like that's where we've been in the past with Milwaukee. is just they have kind of the same roster every year. I think this roster is going to look a lot different next year. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that allows them to get a little more offensive firepower on this roster. But there's also a chance that their depth is really going to be lacking going into next season if they can't make valuable additions. Because Bobby Portis this year like, kind of... Fizzled out a little bit over, over the course of the season. He's still got three more years left on his contract. Um, Grayson Allen is still on the team. You know, they have Marjon Beauchamp, Javon Carter, some guys that are like, okay, guys, but I don't think those guys are really guys you want playing heavy minutes in a playoff series. So there, there's a lot the Bucks are gonna have to think about this offseason. And most of it obviously relates to the Middleton and the Lopez decisions. If you bring both those guys back, I think you're going to be a pretty good team next year. I would definitely try to do that, especially Lopez. Like I I think he's really valuable to the way they play. Uh, and Middleton's just good enough where obviously you want him on your team. But it's not a guarantee that those guys are back. And if, if so, this team, you know, maybe Giannis has to play more at the five. Maybe that, that changes the way their defense functions
0: too. So this team could look a lot different next year. I think it matters what coach they get, obviously, but you, you made a good point there that, you know, they had a lot of role players surrounding them that people, you know, you see that aggregator account on Twitter. That's like, Oh, they added Goran Dragic Watch out for them in the playoffs. Yeah. It's like you, only five guys could play and he wasn't even playing in the playoffs. It, they have a lot of guys, like you mentioned like that, and Matthews, Connaughton, Grayson Allen, who are just kind of mad and you can't just add them to a team and expect them. Oh, wow. They have all these proven guys like you have to have a a good system a good team and I'm not really sure who they are besides Giannis and so to me obviously Holiday is good but like you said if they don't keep those guys I could see a complete kind of overhaul around Giannis and honestly I could see a couple years here where they struggle maybe not necessarily in the regular season but I don't really know if they have a formula to win a lot of games in the playoffs right now I just don't around Giannis and so to me, they need to get a better second star. I don't know if Middleton's the answer. I'm not saying necessarily you don't resign him, but to me, they have some, some searching to do because I'm not sure that Giannis is good enough on his own. They just didn't have a good enough team around him this year. And you can say, well, just play better. But I think I would do some roster revamping if I'm them because I'm not sure they're good enough with, with, with the current construction. I would like to see
1: them at a point guard. Honestly, I just, I think that might help the way their offense functions because a lot of times things feel clunky with, you know, Drew Holiday is not necessarily like the most aesthetically pleasing offensive basketball player. A lot of times he's a a little all over the place. I don't know, like maybe they could, if they don't bring back Middleton, maybe they could add like a Fred Van Vliet to this team. Just somebody like that that can get you into your offense, take a little bit of the offensive burden off Giannis. Um, That might make sense for them but if they bring back Middleton and Lopez like there's probably not much else that they're going to be able to do just with with the amount of cap space they're going to have
0: yeah last thing i'll say before we finish on my part you know you you make a good point they had that point guard in Malcolm Brogdon they drafted him and then they let him go i don't i still don't understand that when they were ascending they had Malcolm Brogdon they they didn't get it done they got swept by the heat i think that year in the bubble and i think they kind of were just like okay we got to make some changes but you look at what Brogdon is doing for the Celtics now, and I definitely think they could use a guy like that on the Bucks team. So it will be interesting to see what they do, how they surround Giannis. Obviously, I'm not giving up on Giannis. He's great. I just think that he needs a little more help. Um, and he's not his style of play isn't necessarily something that is unbeatable, obviously, in the playoffs. So it'd be interesting to see what they do, especially after you know, flaming out in the first round of the playoffs when you're the expected favorite in a team that I thought would win the finals. So um, that's going to do it for my uh, my side of the pod. Thanks, Sully for coming on. We'll, we'll do the rest of the series on his side, uh, but thank you for listening and, and make sure to, to go check out his, which we'll record here uh, very shortly. So thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time.